Well, without further ado, Timmy, why don't you come and join us? The wonderful Timmy. It's going to bring us our Palm Sunday message. And he's been a bit sneaky about what he's going to say. He wasn't letting me know, so I'm a bit nervous about it. Should I pray for you? Yeah. <laughs> thank you, Lord Jesus, for Timmy. I thank you, God, for the word that you've put on his heart. And I thank you, God, for his um, creativity and his energy and the way that he uh, draws so close to you, Lord Jesus. So would you speak through him now, we pray. Fill him with your spirit and give us open ears and hearts to hear what it is that you're saying to us this morning, Holy Spirit. We love you, Lord. Amen. Go for it. Thank you. Good morning, Shadwell. Oh, you guys, wake up, man. Good morning, Shadwell. Yeah, there we are. And welcome to Holy Week. Uh, my name is Timmy. I'm one of the church wardens here at, at SPS. And uh, I have to excuse myself for the jacket. I don't know what I was thinking this morning. I thought spring had sprung and then got here and it's absolutely freezing. So, yeah, bear with me. But um, it's always a privilege to be with you and to share from God's word on a Sunday morning, especially on a day like today. Palm Sunday, a monumental day in, in church life, uh, the start of Holy Week, which is probably the biggest week in, in the Christian faith as well, you know, because Christmas is great, it's very nice, you know, lots of gifts being exchanged, Jamie's a fan of Christmas, so yeah. Ooh. <laughs> big fan of Christmas, uh, you know, lots of good food on the table, probably the first and last time you have turkey for the year. Uh, if you're like my family, there's jollof rice with everything, which is only a good thing. Um, but, but, but as important as, and miraculous as the birth of Jesus was, it was actually only the start of the greatest story ever told. And, and you know, of the three or four hundred prophecies that were made uh, referring to the Messiah that he became, the majority were not about his birth, but actually about his later life and the, the victory that he was going to bring. And so here at the start of Holy Week, we're looking at the, the beginning of the end of that 33-year journey to this point. Uh, so let's hear from God's word. Uh, let's hear what, exactly what there is to be so excited about. So I think Joe is around somewhere to bring it. Oh, look, she's getting a whole walkthrough entrance. Love to see it. Yeah, yeah, catwalk. Okay. I feel like I've been on stage too much already today. I'm sorry, everybody. Um, oh, I could use your very technical-looking thing rather than my tiny, tiny phone. Um, right, so we're going to read Matthew 21, verse 1 to 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They bought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. 
A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. The crowds went ahead of him, and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest heaven! When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Thanks so much, Joe. So today, before we go all the way back to the first Palm Sunday, I wanted to take you back, but not quite that far in history, uh, to my teenage years. Now, the year is... I'm going to give it away. Aren't I? <laughs> the year is 2004. I don't know, can you believe it? Still there. It's good. And uh, if you remember around that time, we had the likes of... Um, it should come up, but Usher... Yeah, giving his confessions. Yeah, Destiny's Child fulfilling their destiny. I was listening on my mini disc player. Did anyone have a mini disc player? Oh, yeah, great. I wasn't the only one. Good. Uh, or if you're a bit more saved, you were listening to Delirious or Kirk Franklin. Yeah, Toby Mac. Good times, good times. Uh, this was also around the time that Arsenal were the undefeated champions of the Premier League. Not a huge amount. <laughs> All right. We'll skip that one. Uh, Tony, Bre Tony Blair and Gordon Brown running the country. Slightly smoother times, if I say so myself. But there you go. And, and here's a quiz question for you all. Who can guess the average house price in London in 2004? I know, a sore subject. Six pounds. <laughs> Cookie dough house, is it? Any guesses? 120, 75, okay, it wasn't quite that low. Yeah, it was around the 200 mark, it was 230,000 pounds, which is less than half of what it is now. So if you manage to get a house during or before 2004, I'm very happy for you, very happy for you. I'm not jealous at all. Uh, but, but more importantly than all of that, 2004 was a time when my school basketball team were absolutely dominating the world of London, at least. Uh, and I love winning, you see. I've always been competitive. And this team was particularly good. We had a really good mix of players. But we had this one guy, JJ, who was just above the rest, literally and statistically. You see, at 15, 16 years old, JJ was six foot five and big. Like, he was big and strong and very, very tall. Like, to the point that he actually went to, to the States looking for a basketball scholarship. And... <laughs> And they told him to change sport to American football because he was too big for basketball. And he ended up playing in the NFL for a decade. Now, that's how big and strong JJ was. I actually saw him commentating on the Super Bowl this year and thought, wow, we really went down different paths from that, from that basketball team. But I'm sure you can imagine, having that sort of player on your team made quite a difference. It was quite an advantage, you know, uh, especially against regular-sized kids at the time. Uh, he could be, you know, doubled up with two players marking him. And if the game's a bit tight, the tactic would basically change to pass to JJ. And we would lob it up, and he would catch him. Give a little some moves here. Give a little swivel. And then uh, slam dunk on top of these petrified little 15 and 16-year-olds, uh, leaving them slightly scarred. But we would win. And we would win 
just about every, every trophy, every tournament, almost every game, we were winning the lot. Um, and I have to say, I still have some of those medals and I thank JJ constantly for, for what he did for us. But I think it was maybe similar to how the disciples were feeling about Jesus on this day as, as he comes riding into Jerusalem. You know, they've traveled with him for months and years, witnessed him healing the sick with just his words or, or a touch. Uh, they've seen him feed thousands from a packed lunch that JJ would have been still hungry if, if he had eaten. Uh, they, they've seen him walk on water and, and even call Peter to walk on water with him. Uh, and then calm the storm as if it was no big deal. You know, these disciples must have come to the same conclusion that I have, which is my first point, that Jesus brings victory. Jesus brings victory. And that's definitely the vibe we can see here as he enters Jerusalem. You know, people are shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. Nowhere else in the English Bible, at least, do we read of this shout being raised up, aimed at anyone but Jesus. Uh, he was here as the coming king, the savior of the world. And that's why it fit, because Hosanna actually means save us, please. You know, they're actually quite polite with it, even a please on there. Uh, and it's worth remembering that although the people were crying for a savior to bring them victory, they were hoping for a different sort of victory to what he was actually going to bring. Because around the time, for context, the Jewish people had been under Roman rule for about a hundred years at this point. And, and that was even preceded by the rule of many other different foreign leaders and powers. Uh, but right here and now, I think there's a map you can see just how big the Roman Empire was. You know, it was vast, spreading across the Mediterranean. And prior to this time, the, the Israelites had been in captivity in Egypt as well, when they were just a, a group of 12 sons or 12 tribes. Then the Assyrians had conquered them when they finally made it into the promised land. Uh, a number of them were taken in exile to Babylon as well. And, and so over this period, and then in the gap between the Old and New Testaments, you had a lot of things happening. You had Alexander the Great. You had you know, different ruling powers across all these different areas, again shown by this map, where you find Jerusalem right at the center of a lot of conflict, even though it didn't really want to be. And so whilst also being influenced by the Greeks coming in from the Northwest, the, the Jewish people had really been through it over these centuries and were looking for a savior to come and heal them, restore them, and save them from their oppressors. So it's completely understandable that when they saw Jesus, many saw him as a conquering hero, coming to save the day, coming to rid them of these foreign invaders. And even those who knew the prophecies well had come to take it literally. But as I mentioned, Jesus was fulfilling so many prophecies and claiming to be the Son of God. Surely he was here to bring a big victory. Surely he similarly comes into our lives to save us from all evil. To, to protect us from harm and give us the win. Well, there's good news and semi-good news in both this story and our assertion about what Jesus comes to do. The good news is that Jesus does indeed bring victory. But the semi-good news is that it doesn't always look like what we might want it to or how we might want it to. You know, how many times have you looked back uh, on the times that you're praying for God to resolve a situation in your life that seemed impossible to overcome. And you're, you, know, you had the faith that he could do it. 
You know, you really believed that he was going to do it, but the way that he did it didn't quite match up to what you might have expected. You know, it's often when we look back at the route he takes us through uh, that we know that navigating those trials have been a lesson and there's been learnings. You know, we realize that the process has helped us to progress or, or that the difficulty has increased our spirituality, you know. Taking it slow for a time might have helped us to get faster to where we need to later down the line. Or what felt like a blocker could actually have been keeping us free for something even better. You know, I sometimes think that, that Jesus really actually wants to see that we will still be on his team, even if he hasn't delivered yet, but will. So count it all joy. And this isn't suggesting that you just passively put your head down and, and you know, wait for the time to pass. You know, that, that time that Jesus was walking on water, he, uh, he had to kind of chastise his disciples because they were afraid. You know, in Matthew 14, we read that Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. And the emphasis for me there is really on the take courage. You know, that's an action word, a verb, a doing word. You know, Jesus wants us to be deliberately positive in how we deal with the situations that we find ourselves in and that we're waiting for him to deliver us from. In James chapter 1, we're told to consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So let's learn to praise and worship and glorify God, uh, both during the victorious ups of life and also when we're in the downs. No matter what you're facing, stay positive because Jesus brings victory. But then we can also learn from the way in which he comes through for us and those waiting for his salvation in Jerusalem. Uh, because like was just on the screen there, Jesus brings victory with humility. Okay, hands up. Let's see how honest we are. Are there any sore losers in the building? Ah, a few of you. You know yourselves. All right, fair, fair, fair. I was going to ask you if anyone knows that they're sat next to a sore loser, because you probably get a few more hands. Um, okay, but what about those who love winning? You know, who, who, who are the winner? Yeah, I can imagine cake bread. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the kind of winner who wants to let people know about it. Yeah, I'm, I'm probably a little bit more like that. You know, anyone who's been go-karting with me or, or, or played Monopoly with me around Christmas time, they'll know that when I win, I really win. I really win. It's, it's always a good time. Uh, but can you imagine if Jesus had that attitude? You know, this is the son of the all-powerful God. He's got all the power himself as well. He's fulfilling hundreds of prophecies about being the savior of the world and here in this very passage, there's even a reference to, to the book of Zechariah written over 500 years before. Uh, and I like how it reads in the original text. Uh, in chapter 9, verse 9, the first part of it says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious. You know, someone with a different temperament to Jesus would, would be planning their big announcement, you know, letting you know that they mean business. Your king is coming through righteous and victorious. It would probably be uh, something like that scene in um, Coming to America. I don't know if anyone's seen that. Yeah, I, th I think I might have. I hope it works. 
hope of us, because this will be... Yes. You know, you've got your outriders keeping the road clear for you. The king of Zumunda is coming into town. You've got your bodyguard, or maybe 12 bodyguards. Makes sense. Rose petals on the floor to soften your steps. You know, you can't be walking on regular ground like other people. And then you step out, and you've got a lion on your shoulder. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's how I would come into Jerusalem. <laughs> yes. But that's not how Jesus did it. That's not how he did it at all. And we have to take in the fullness of the prophecy and all that was said to really understand. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly, and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey, like a baby donkey. Jesus, the conquering king, doesn't arrive in town on the mode of transport typically associated with a conquering king. He actually comes on a donkey, which was associated with a peacetime king of Israel. He takes humility to new levels by actually even coming in on a baby donkey to show that he is so relaxed and so easygoing about this. You know, a king coming for battle would have come in on a big battle horse ready to do business. But Jesus arrived for what he would make into the most important week in human history on a donkey. Coming to show that he came in peace. But there was still so much power displayed through that entrance Uh, which I think triggered the response that we saw in the passage from Matthew 21. It says from verse 7 that they, that's his disciples, brought the donkey and the colt and placed their their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna! To the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. You know, what a sight that must have been. It's slightly different to the king of Zamunda, who, you know, probably ordered his subjects to have all of that ready for him. You know, I am a powerful king. You have to uh, revere me and welcome me in this way. You know, instead, these people are praising God of their own free will. And volition, it's just something that's overflowing out of them to then cut palm branches down and, and lay them in his path as a mark of respect, you know, for this humble king who was born in a stable uh, but has come to save us all. And that celebration, you know, that, that red carpet or, or green branch treatment is the kind of reception that Jesus wants in our lives as well. He wants to be warmly welcomed into your heart. I'm so particularly glad that disciples had also learned from Jesus' teaching that he, he came to save and serve, not to be served, so that they had to do likewise. Because we often talk at SPS about making disciples. And, you know, the, the, the eyes, the two eyes in the word disciple speak to us a lot about both intimacy and imitation. And through their years of proximity with Jesus, you can definitely see that the disciples had learned to imitate his posture of humility and servanthood. You know, they take their cloaks off and lay them on the donkey for him to be comfortable. It's really them learning to love their neighbor as themselves. It takes me back to uh, uh, WWJD, if you remember these 
bad boy wristbands. Who had one of these? Oh, yeah, you were the coolest. Definitely the coolest. What would Jesus do? Yeah? Being a follower of Christ is a call for all of us to live like Jesus did. I think that Palm Sunday calls us to humbly bow before God, our Father and King, full of gratitude to acknowledge that all he has done and will do in our lives is for our good. And so we act accordingly in any and every difficult situation, praying for patience and wisdom and asking, what would Jesus do? He'll be humble. He'll be long-suffering. He'll be obedient even to death. I'll ask the band to, to come up as I come into land. Because the key difference between what the people thought Jesus was coming to do and what he was actually going to do, it really actually lay in the timelines. You know, they wanted an immediate victory right there and then to free them from their circumstances. But the real victory is far greater than any momentary thing and far greater than anything we might even be placing in the present, facing in the present. Because Jesus brings victory for eternity. Not just for now, but for eternity. They shouted, Hosanna, save us now. Expecting a conquering king to come and rule Jerusalem. But Jesus was there to save far more than just that one city and that group of people. He hadn't come just for them and then. He had come for all mankind for all of time as well. That brings me to two key conclusions. Firstly, and as I've already hinted at, the troubles we face are never forever. You know, 2 Corinthians 4 verse 17 offers some encouragement that for our light and momentary troubles, and, and when I read light and momentary troubles, you need to remember this is Paul writing. That's Paul who has uh, been in prison, got shipwrecked on his way to Rome, nearly died, then nearly dies in the province of Asia, so I'm not sure it was light and momentary troubles, but that's how he puts it. But for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So let's not get disheartened by what might be going on in life around us. You know, I want you to remember that it's all temporary. Whether it takes two weeks or two months or, or two years for us to be delivered from, God is with you to comfort you and fill you with the Holy Spirit, to fill you with the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, whichever one of the fruits of the Spirit it is that you feel you need. Pray for them and keep praying for them. I promise you that not only do the difficult seasons pass in their due time, but your cries of Hosanna will be heard right in the midst of it as well. And it's challenged me because my second thought when reflecting on the eternal victory of Jesus is that just like the troubles we face, this life is temporary. You know, 60, 70, 80, 90 years if you're doing really well is a long period of time. But eternity is so much longer, so much longer than that. And so surely it matters more that we decide where we want to spend eternity than how we live our, well, what we do in our life right here. And in true Jesus fashion, you know, we should be concerned for all those around us as well who may not get to enjoy that eternity with us. 
Because even though today isn't part of the Tell series, uh, just knowing about the victory that Jesus delivers, guaranteeing our eternity and our life beyond, it, it has to prompt us to talk to everyone possible about what they could be missing out on. I remember suddenly getting itchy about the prospect of the people that I love not being there with me forever. You know, it really made me want to get them on Alpha or invite them into church. Who do you want to be there with you in eternity? Again, pray for them. Keep praying for them. Show them some holy hospitality, as, uh, as Philippa mentioned a couple of weeks ago. So they see in your life what it means to be a follower of Christ. Tell them about your life being transformed by Jesus. And, and just ask if we could stand as I close. Because um, preparing for this and, and praying through the week, I, I feel that if there is anyone here and now who, who wants to take up this amazing offer of free salvation and a victorious life with Jesus, you know, I'd love for you to say this prayer after me. Uh, and maybe we could all say it together so that no one feels alone in the SPS family. So if you would close your eyes and bow your heads and repeat after me. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I've done wrong. I ask your forgiveness. And I thank you for coming to die for me. And then rise from the dead for my sins. I turn from my sins and invite you to come into my heart and my life. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior. Amen. And so if you said that prayer for the first time or the first time in a long time, do come and connect with us on the team uh, or, or the prayer ministry team who will be here under the gallery to my left, your right. We want to be alongside you on this journey. You know? and may God bless us all on this Palm Sunday that we might go from here to live a life of intimacy with him and imitate Jesus, knowing that our great victory will be found spending eternity with him. Amen.